Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Hawkins Do You Copy? My name is Emily. My name is Lauren. And in this podcast we talk about all things Stranger Things. Ah, God, I can't believe this is episode three. Four. It's episode four. Four, episode four. So next week is the start of a new topic. Yes, which we won't say. Are we going to keep it secret? Maybe give some spoilers? Well, I mean... We will be talking a lot about the party in this episode. Take that as a hint. That's a hint for what is to come. Yeah. Take that as you will. (laughs) Anyway. Which is terrifying that it's August. That scares me. Like, that a month has passed of podcasts. We don't even need to talk about the fact that it's already August. Anyway, speaking of terrifying, what are we talking about today? So, today we're talking about something that is, once again, quite... A major theme within the show, I would say. Um, Another one of the biggest, not to quote ourselves last week. It it is one of the biggest. So today we are talking about D&D. D&D is Dungeons and Dragons, just in case... uh... Just in case none of you were aware. (laughs) None of you know, none of you actually watch Stranger Things and don't know, um, which was a game that first came out in 1970. Yeah, I believe it came out around 1974 around that date yeah 1974 yeah and it is pretty much the introduction to the show i mean it's very much the introduction of the show (laughs) a tiny little bit like of of the start there is dnd is the first thing that we are shown when we watch episode one of season one of strange things it's pretty much that the, the show is grounded in D&D. The kids use D&D language to explain everything that's happening to them. They name different creatures and different things after D&D characters and they refer to themselves and they refer to the party very often as their mm-hmm. whole campaign and their whole D&D party. That's sort of where they're entire. Yeah, because we um, looked a little bit into actually what their characters were, weren't we? I mean, obviously yeah. we know in the show that I think Mike in season two, when he's talking to Max in not the nicest way, um, says about, um, I'm our paladin, Will's our cleric, etc, etc. So in the yeah. book, um, which we keep referring to. The best book that I would 100% recommend getting if you're a fan of Stranger Things. Yeah, exactly. The uh, World Turned Upside Down companion guide. There's actually a section in there. Um, it's the player's character sheets. And it goes for all of those. So I think it'll be quite interesting to actually start with that when talking about it. Should we start with the paladin himself? Why not? So Mike is the paladin uh, of the group. He is also the dungeon master. So he is the one that is essentially creating all of the campaigns for them, writing the campaigns. And he is considered lawful good. Yeah, we actually took the test ourselves, didn't we? And I believe this was uh, your alignment as well it was yes um so lawful good is essentially you want to be the best you can possibly be um it can you sort of focus on honor and compassion but it can be dangerous because it does restrict types of freedom um with this alignment there's sort of no gray area there's right and wrong so there's no sort of discussion on oh but what about in this circumstance it's that thing is wrong that 
thing is right. Yeah, because we were talking um, yesterday about whether that fit Mike then, especially with season three, but actually on reflection that very much fits him, I think. I mean, he's, he's I mean, not easily yeah. compromisable. I mean, I'd, I'd say that's fair. <laughs> yeah, um, especially in season one where he decides Elle is their friend and that's what it is. And then they're trying to explain, look, this, there's lots going on. We don't know about her. She's a stranger. And he's like, but she's our friend now. And, and there's no sort of willing to compromise anything else and then when max joins he's like well no she's not joining yeah she's ruining um, the party by yeah, doing he's pretty no bit no yes pretty much and and it takes a lot for him to compromise on a situation i think and i think that's why his character in season three seemed so particularly out of character yeah um because he was he had to reconsider a lot of things. Like his whole thing is friends don't lie. Yeah. And, and yet. <laughs> he, he is lying to Elle and he knows he's lying to Elle and you can tell he feels bad about it and he's trying to mm. sort that. It's, so yeah. It's also one of those things though where it still arguably kind of fits in a strange Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Even though he is lying, but he's doing that because he believes it's what's right in a sense that Hopper's done this to him. So it's like, okay, so now I need to do this. Yeah. For the greater good, which is, is what a lot of um, sort of the lawful good <laughs> focuses on is what the greater good is. And, and, and if something will help something, even if it's not a very good thing, it will be done. Um, <laughs> it projo- it promotes sort of ideals of majority um, <laughs> of, and sort of like over that of, an individual viewpoint which also fits very well that especially if we look at season two here where we've got the whole max scenario it's very much uh you're in the party even when he says it to will um when they're walking along and he said you should have spoken about it with me first before inviting max along and it, yeah it still fits in the ideal that it's for everyone it should have been even though he's the leader it should have been consulted because this is for the good of the party. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if they come from a democracy or a dictatorship, the morals are very similar and sort of go along. So, as well as being lawful good, Mike is obviously the paladin. So, to be a paladin, you have to be, or at least in the first edition, which is what they were in because the second edition didn't come out until 1989, so obviously first season is 83, so. So we might catch it. In later seasons, which will be an interesting plot point, maybe if they bring in the other classes and stuff. I really want them to do that because mostly because I want it to be later years so that a lot of Winona Ryder films will come out around the same time and then they can go watch a film with Winona Ryder in it. Make Will very confused. Neither here or there. That's not what we're talking about today. My love for Winona Ryder could be a whole entire podcast. Anyway, Paladin Mike. <laughs> Paladin Mike. You have to be um, lawful good. Um, or yeah. I believe you lose that class that you can't yeah. be a paladin if you're not lawful good. And then you lose it until you can regain mm-hmm. that alignment. Yeah. And what's very interesting as well about the paladin is that there was this whole subject about lying, that you mustn't tell lies, must be truthful, which once again fits with the whole friends do not lie exactly um there's also the 
needs to give fair warnings to any enemies. Mm. So going into battles head first, which I think is very, mm. like, head on, which I think is very Mike. And actually, even if you go deep on it, I suppose, or in the beginning of season two, I say the beginning, I think it's the second episode, when we see that flashback of when they're talking to uh, Mike in his home and being like, you need to tell us if you know who she is. And he's very much, even if I did, I'd never tell you. I guess that is actually still even kind of like that I'm giving you a warning that yeah. I'm not going to do this. So please do not come back to me again. Yeah, you like know? I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Um, but yeah. he's telling them that. He's not yeah. saying, yes, 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 I'll tell you, but then keeping it a secret. He's He, he makes it aware the whole time that Elle is with them. Like, obviously, he doesn't tell um, Karen and Ted that she's in the basement, but the second they find out where she is, he doesn't deny that. But yeah. that shows his willingness to protect her even more because he's like, well, you're, ne- you're not going to know. Even if I know, you're not going to know this. Yeah. Which shows a lot sort of about his, his character, I think. Um, I also think it's really interesting to note that only humans can be a paladin. And the reason why we are mentioning this is because that does tie in to a couple of other... Little things a little later on down the line. They also would never be willing to commit an evil act. It would have to be something that would... Mm not be something they wanted particularly to do but if it was for the good of the people yeah then it would need to be done which i guess that also kind of ties into season one as well especially when there's protection of l promotion do they really want to be involved in everything that happens in the climactic scene of season one it's literally (laughs) like a 13 year old going up against the government and he's like no Because it's wrong, because what you're doing is wrong. Mm. And then that also comes to when, in season three, when he's telling them, don't use Elle just for her powers, because that's what's happened her entire life. Yeah. And it's wrong, Um, Mm. which is really good. I think that that, that definitely sort of showcases his abilities. and, and, And I really love how the Duffer brothers have, put a lot of thought into their classes mm. and mm. their D&D characters compared to who they are in real life and how that reflects what they do. Um, it's so interesting how tied, it, I mean that's the point of this episode, but it's so interesting how actually ingrained and tied it is, especially when we were doing the research into it, about yeah. how we were reading through and you'll find this with, I think, we'll get to it later, obviously we'll find some of the other characters it fits so well. So, obviously, there are other members of the party. We have Dustin. Dustin, who is our bard? Which is perfect for... Du- so perfect for Dustin. So and we're not just talking about the never-ending story moment. Yeah, so the, <laughs> the bard is the master of song and speech, which the obvious one that we go for is never-ending story, which was... A wonderful serenade that has stayed in all of our brains this entire time. Um, I mean, a year down the line, we're still thinking of that scene. (laughs) We truly are. But 
it's also really important to think about the master of the speech because if we look back through a lot of episodes, Dustin is a huge negotiator, which is also a big part of the Bard. From season um, one, that's something that's from really... from season one. He is negotiating different things. He is the reason Mike and Lucas make up and sort of sort things out. And he's the one that's saying our party is a democracy. Yeah. So he's talking about we should talk about things and make decisions together. He's very um, much the glue, in a sense. Which, I mean, we'll obviously talk about more, maybe, in the next episode. But he's keeping that whole thing together. Yeah. He creates an entire communication device, essentially. I mean, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is very much the master of song and speech in... Hmm in the show which i think is really really good you do have to be human or half elf elf so that you do have to have those human characteristics in order to be a bard um again very musical um he can be any alignment that is neutral but it's very interesting that they chose neutral good yeah so he is named neutral good in the player guide. I would say I'd say that fits in pretty well. It's not so much the same as spoilers, but will being true neutral, where it's very much either way. It's more of a doing things that are right. It is. It's it's doing the best a person can be. Um and good without bias. So for or against order, depending on what the situation mm. is. A lot um of it is like personal freedom and obeying laws but then also how freedom and law mm. interact because that's a very interesting debate which is a debate outside of stranger things and D, but that's a debate within itself and i think it's again it's it's very similar to this is the government mm. but we know they're wrong and also is very devoted to helping others as well which i think he if, if you die i die yeah and i think actually if that's something that we see we, well in fact we do see that in season three when uh steve is opening the jar i guess canister weird the, the green thing <laughs> when, when he's opening that he, he does literally say if you die i die and I think also as well that within season two, that's kind of a strain that's kind of seen through in a way that they know that they need to obey the government and yeah. the people that are in charge when they're very much like, we've signed a non-disclosure thing, but that doesn't mean they're going to, he's going to stand idle and yeah. let this all go. No. Hmm. No, he is one of the first to want to fight and want to help and want to try and do what he can. Like, again, he built Cerebro so that he could talk and, and help out because Susie can't use the phone. Um, so he's like, oh, okay, what can I do to help her? Build an entire communication tower. Yeah, casual. Yeah, um, which I think is, I think it says a lot about mm. about him as a character. And, and I think neutral good is very fitting. Yeah, to... even with his... Um relationship so to speak with l like throughout season one and two it's so different to um obviously lucas and mike are the same type which we'll get to 
in a second. But if you compare um, Dustin's reaction to Elle, say, even Mike's in a way, even though Mike is very much, we need her for this, she's a weapon, we can use her for this, fitting his own ideals, Dustin is very much more, more friendly, in a sense, yeah. about it. It's very much that yeah, even though yeah. he knows it's dangerous, he's very much like, but come on guys, look, she's so cool, she's doing all this, she's doing that. And it's just, yeah. the way that's working, it's so, well, I guess it's so neutral good. <laughs> yeah. He's mm. there at the quarry willing to fight. Yeah. Um, which sort of says a lot. Like, I think we say about Mike taking her in a lot, mm. but actually she was just as new of a person to Dustin. Yeah. And he was also just as willing to to help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just happened to be Mike's basement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, though, exactly. But once again, so, lawful good fits his character. <laughs> it does, exactly. Which is a very interesting because Lucas is the same alignment as Mike, but Lucas and Mike are... Very similar, but in very different ways. Yes. So if we talk first about um, his class, which is Ranger. Yeah. Ranger was an interesting one to look at, actually. Um, because I believe that one in Bard, you kind of had to get there from various different stems and build it up, didn't you? Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot mm. of um, Rangers are fighters, some types of fighters. Hmm. which fits very well with Lucas and especially Ranger with the slingshot as we thought of yesterday. So Rangers use bows, they are pretty good with that sort of particular type of weapon or weapons very similar which Lucas always has his slingshot on him. Hmm. He's ready to go. Ready to go, exactly. And even he uses fireworks, which are things that you throw. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of the ones where when we were looking at the comparisons, I thought that's a really little thing. Yeah. But he's the only one that ever has a weapon handy. So what's interesting about Lucas, and we kind of hinted this as well, that Lucas is also lawful good. Yeah. Which, as you said, is... Obviously the same as Mike, but they are very different and similar in both ways. Greater good is something that I think Lucas does, but his greater good is different from Mike's greater good. Yeah, they've got the same, which fits very well with the characters once again, the, the idea of that if it fits with what you... It's something you must do, that you need to do it because it's for the good of the people. Whereas Mike's very much, we need to do this because what I think having her and keeping her is for the greater good, it's going to help us find Will... Whereas yeah. Lucas also is very much like, we need to find Will. But in the case of, no, we're a party, we're sticking together, that's the way we're going to solve this. We don't need an outsider. And that kind of mentality. Which I wanted to add, which is very interesting with Elle, is I have played a tiny, tiny bit of D&D. I am not a D&D expert in any way, shape or form. But I have a friend who I play with who is very much a D&D expert and knows lots of things about different types of D&D classes and alignments. And We'd like to thank them for some of the little things. Oh. Yes, that was amazing. Um, and she said that the mage is not something which actually exists as a sort of class that you can be. 
so we had a look, we Googled to make sure that what we were saying was right, because like I said, I'm not a DNA expert at all. Um, but it did not exist in the first edition of the game. It does exist now. It is something you can be now. But magic user was what was the term for. Yeah, I've got the... Actually, as we speak, I have the player's guide open. Yes, open. according to the player's guide, yeah. Yeah, it says here character classes, cleric, and then you've got druid, fighter, and then paladin ranger, magic user, so illusionist, and thief, assassin, and then monk. You then got the multi-class character and characters with two classes, but I'm presuming then it's going to tie into those. So mage isn't actually mentioned. Which could tie in with the concept of things being the future, her being from a different place where that is a thing, and different... Co- like, it's interesting that they use... Ma- it could be just an oversight by the yeah. Duffers. I mean, it could be. And they could have made a mistake and used mage as a term, not realising that that wasn't a thing in the first edition. But mm-hmm. because of... I know how much research they put into it and that they love D&D and that they play the game and stuff... I don't think that's something they would have hmm. missed. That ties into a theory, which we won't go into now, but the idea that the show, and in a sense, is all a game of D&D, and that L was kind of... I can't remember whose opinion it was. I can't remember if it was Mike or if it was Will's. I want to say Will, but... Well, he breaks things, that. doesn't he? So. Yeah. I believe it's kind of from his opinion, and someone once said on i definitely read this online um that l is almost a character he's created and is his character in dnd but if we talk about theories later down the line we'll get into all of that (laughs) speaking of will right yes he's an interesting one isn't he we left him till last for a reason will is our cleric Yes, he is a cleric and a true neutral. Yeah. He is the only member of the party that does not have good in his name, Mm. in his alignment. It's very interesting as well, because when we were reading this yesterday, and this is where I feel slightly bad for talking about the true neutral like that, is that I remember going through it, we were reading it, and I was going, oh, he's literally a default. And then we take the test later. And of course, that turns out to be my alignment, according to the test. So we'll push that aside. It was... It's interesting to look into. It's, it's The true neutral will do what they seem to be a good idea. That doesn't necessarily mean that the idea is... The good idea is a good act. It could mm. be a bad thing. Mm. But for them, it is a good idea. Yeah, we were on the website, I believe it's an official Dungeons and Dragons website where it talks about all the alignments and it says, for example, that they might prefer good because you'd always want good neighbours over bad neighbours, for example, but that isn't to say they wouldn't necessarily have a bias towards the good, it's just that what fits in that moment what's sort of best for them really they don't feel strongly one way or another that like you said that there, there would always be a preference but not necessarily like 
that has to be the be all end all. Um, yeah. So they, there's no sort of any particular feeling towards good versus evil, law versus chaos, etc. Um, they are committed to being good in abstract, but not necessarily always something. It's not, for example, it's not like if we compare it to Mike, for example, which is as far good as you can be, according to the alignments, I believe, that where he's very much, I need this, it's for the good of people, whereas Will's alignment would be more, if it fits me, I'll do it, but I'm not going to essentially go out of my way. To which is very Will in season three. He doesn't want to do anything they're doing and he's not silent about it. No, that he speaks, I mean, in that scene <laughs> where we have the Mike and Will argument, actually, that's quite a, as much as it hurt me, it's quite a good example of that. Yeah. Whereas Mike is very much on the defence of, look, we're growing up, we need to do this, is that Elle's not stupid, she's this, she's that, that I'm not doing anything wrong. Whereas Will is quick to call that out and say, no, in my mind, you're ruining the party. You're doing this. You're doing that at the cost of, I suppose, really, friendship. Friendship. Yeah, that could have, that could have ruined everything. But it's what, in that moment, Will thought. No, I need to speak up about this. That I'm not going to stay quiet, even if this does really disrupt. The whole time when they're going to the mall and doing different things, he's he's annoyed. Oh yeah, he's so visibly annoyed. <laughs> And, and he's not silent about it, which people think about Will, and they think Will Byers, who pretty chill family, you know, like, sort of seen as, I mean, he gets called, like, they all get called sort of, like, the, the weirdos at school. I'm doing, for those that are listening and not watching, I'm doing quotation marks because I don't agree with the things that are said, but... You know, Jonathan's pretty sort of keep to himself. They're all sort of sort of keep to yourself. So for him to speak up a lot in season three, people would sort of see as out of character a little bit, I guess. Whereas actually being true neutral, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's very in character for him yeah. in that time. It's considered most misunderstood alignment. Um, mm. But they have sort of a lack of conviction, very sort of indifferent, which he is to a lot of things. He's like, I don't care about this as much as you do. We see um, that a lot in season two as well, actually, with yeah. the whole thing. Um, when him and Jonathan are having the conversation about like the Kenny Rogers and David Bowie uh, comparisons, where he's wrong with her, well, some people do like this. It's, yeah. you know, that there's no real... This is my opinion on this. Um, so him being a cleric means that he is magical and yes. that he has been divinely granted his abilities from some higher being. Wow. Hello, season two. <laughs> yes, <laughs> precisely. Which he has the ability to feel the mind flare because of what the mind flare does with him, which obviously continues into season three. And he also, as a cleric, can control undead creatures. Once again, hello, season two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cleric is very dependent on its alignment or its host. Yeah. 
um, and has a and is a divine servant of a particular god or divine being, which is very particular to what happens to Will, is the mind flayer the god of the upside down, essentially, and Will <laughs> is part of that. It was quite interesting as well that when we looked up Cleric, I believe that was, it was one of the, I think, well, at least what we saw, it was the only one that seemed to have like a dark element of it, at least in the first edition. Because I believe that later on in the editions, you can get the same with Paladin from what I've researched. Yeah, from the first edition, people didn't particularly want to play as the Cleric. No, I believe that what we read, it was described as very much the, it's just the healer, you know, it's something that we have. Um, so we're wondering if like the mortal world that they are in is like just the normal world and then the gods are from some different place, which the Mind Flayer and the Demogorgons are from a different mm. place. Which we know. Yeah. So so that's very interesting because Will is the only one, aside from L that goes into the Upside Down out of the party he's the only one that experiences this different place this different dimension whatever the upside down is which is very interesting to tie in with his with with the title of cleric i think as well that if you actually look in the player guide as well something that's very interesting and kind of relates to that little theory that we won't go into but we might go into another time that he's originally it says here that he was classed as um, magic user mm-hmm. um, which obviously there could be some discretion again because I believe also in the book it says that Mike was originally a cleric Yeah, so it's interesting in the book that it says magic user because magic user can also then reclass into illusionist into this which if we want to go into that theory uh, is it all made up who knows or that Will created it Exactly. Um, so obviously we know within the show and within the game, um, it's not just the party. There are other elements involved in this. Um, so for example, we also, of course, have our mind player and our demogorgon. So I don't want to go into this too much because, spoilers, later down the line we will be doing full episodes on those two creatures themselves. Um, but from what- Trick from or treat. Exactly. Oh, I'm so excited for Halloween. So oh, excited. our Halloween month is gonna be, I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. So we're gonna go into that later then as well, but, but within the game, it's quite interesting, especially on the website, it says that the Demogorgon differs so much. There is such big, differences like within the game it describes like a lord like a demon lord of chaos which invades the underdark and from what we've seen though within the show it seems to be very much that the mind flayer does that is this instead um i was also interesting as well actually though a little bit on the mind flayer is that that's very close actually to the dnd equivalent from what i can tell anyway it makes me wonder if the Demogorgon, like, ultimately can become a Mind Flare. Do you know, like, how we see it in different stages? It makes me wonder if it can keep evolving. 
Oh yeah, actually that's a point. So if you, so I'm on the D&D website for clarification, but if you look at, they've got a figure of the Demogorgon here, which I believe comes in the set um, that you can get. Yes. Yeah, and looking at it, the way that its limbs are, it is very, you can see how that could turn into a mind player, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, like, the fingers are all long. You know, if you think about the shadow monster, as they call it, the it kind of has that structure, doesn't it? Because it isn't just the arms and the legs, is it? It's yeah. It's got all the... I'm doing hand actions once again to clarify for people not watching the video, but it's got all like, the twirly bits all around the fingers and that kind of stuff, hasn't it? So you can see how that could change. But the mind flare in the website is described as this really like sentient creature it is still connected by that collective consciousness um but it very much well it says here it's octopus four tentacle head flexes in hungry anticipation when thinking creatures come near to it which is very interesting to think about when we think about how for example will and billy were taken over by this mind. They mind. sensed it, didn't they? It, it? It was, they sensed that they were there and then it was an immediate drive to possess and take them over. Exactly. And another... It didn't another stop. Point. It didn't give up the hunt. Exactly. Which ties in very well then to its alignment, as we discovered, as being lawful evil. <laughs> which the complete foil... Is that the word? Yeah, the complete foil to Mike's lawful good. Pretty much, yeah. The It's still doing what it, I guess, thinks is right. But what we notice that it's a lot more selfish. Which, I mean, is kind of natural, I guess. But it's a lot more, this is all for me, and I'm doing this for power, I'm doing this for control. It's those kind of things, rather than, this is for the greater good. Yeah. So it's really interesting to look at what the Duffer brothers decided to change and also what they decided to keep because they're so involved with the sort of games and things that the party play and D&D &D and that was part of sort of what they grew up playing and they're very interested in a lot of inspirations of the show. So mm -hmm. there was clearly a conscious decision to change certain things and keep certain things the fact that they kept the names but made some decisions and changes is very interesting mm -hmm. um and i definitely think that it plays a bigger part in uh, in the, the entirety of the show which also makes me think that when they say there's a new monster who has been there all along um makes me think that when we're talking about there being different realms and demon overlords of said realms and different things makes me think that there is a lot more to Hawkins but obviously the upside down as well which is going to play a part in this new monster because it's not just the mind flayer that lives in the underdark yeah. there is other creatures as well um, and there was a thing which says not many humans go but less return which Will Byers is very lucky, in a sense, yeah. basically. Because even Hopper would have died very quickly 
if they hadn't found him. Whereas for oh, yeah. some reason, Will, mm-hmm. our magic user, our um, cleric, <laughs> even Will, who is our uh, yeah magic user, our cleric, our illusionist, mm-hmm. is, was able to survive a week. And hopefully this will be explored. Please explore this in season four or five. Just want it explored. <laughs> we have done so much research into this that I can't imagine it not being such a huge part. So mm. if it's just if they just never played D and D again, um, I will be very sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean we know that obviously Will gave up his set, but there's still that kind of hint that obviously Mike still got his because Will even says I'll just play yours when I come yeah. back. But the fact that Will willingly gets rid of his set Mm. is very interesting. And it's almost like that campaign has ended. So Mm. those enemies are gone. And now Erica Mm. has a way to have a new game, Mm. a new campaign. Yeah. So new enemies can appear. I mean, it's a way to both keep it in Hawkins and get it out of Hawkins, isn't it, really? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, we'd love to know your thoughts on D&D and Stranger Things and the connections and the influences and how D&D has inspired Stranger Things, especially from people that play a lot of D&D, because that would be really interesting to have that perspective as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that would that would be really good. Or you can follow us on all of our social medias, which is at Hawkins Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on that. And we will see you next week for the first week of the second month, which is a whole new theme, which is very exciting. And I'm very, very excited for this month because I'm going to get to talk about a lot of things. I'm excited. And I, yeah, I feel like... I've spent the entirety of the episode being like, we can't talk about this because it's going to come in. <laughs> but we, we don't want to go into things that we are going to have whole podcasts about, mm. um, which we will. Yes. So, yes. Thank you for listening or for watching and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. Do you copy?